You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Several years ago, there was this popular conference for men, and uh, it, it, it just was huge and had momentum, and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of men would gather in coliseums and, and, and large venues uh, to to worship together and to have the word of God poured into them. And, and it, was, it was such a phenomenon that they, there was a news station that wanted to do a story on this when they came to their city. And so uh, this event is happening and the Colosseum is filled with men. And the story that, that I'm sharing you comes from one of the perspectives of those men at that conference where he said that their, their, their worship team is leading this in amazing grace and he said, thousands of men across this auditorium are just hands raised and just submitted to God singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And he said, I was distracted in a moment of worship when the news crew started walking up the stairs and the, the investigative reporter turned to the cameraman and said, if we don't get this, we're dead. And he said, he was talking to his cameraman about the shot of thousands of men with their hands up, worshiping God, coming together. And he said, God really shared something with me in that moment. This song that we're singing, Amazing Grace, if we don't get this, we're dead. And that's part of the foundational elements of our faith. As a Protestant, we shared with you last week about how Martin Luther was, was just kind of done with the Catholic practices of, uh, of the um, the uh, selling indulgences and kind of the abuses of people in the church in, in his time. And so he, he nails his document, the 95 Theses, to the, to the, the door in, in Germany. And, and for that starts and really is the ground zero of a Protestant Reformation that, that really our, we come out of the evangelical Christian, comes out of the Protestant uh, Reformation. And, and uh, he summed up that entire Reformation in five statements, the five solas, the, that it is, it is sola scriptura, it is sola gratia, it is sola fide, solus Christus, and soli deo gloria, which means it's the word of God that stands alone. It is grace and grace alone. Grace plus anything else is not grace. It's faith and faith alone, faith in Christ alone, and then everything we do alone is for the glory of God. It's not for our benefit or our gain or our selfishness. What we do, a life of a Christ follower who has found his, his foundation in the, in the scripture, and that is what we stand on, and we're saved by grace through the faith that we have in a risen Christ, that our life is not our own anymore, that at that moment, we begin living for someone else and that someone else is the glory of God. It's that moment when you realize you're having children, right? And you, it's, that, it's that look at each other and going, okay, our lives are no longer about ourselves. That's exactly what it is like coming into faith by the grace that is given us by God through the crucified Savior that we're taught in the scripture of how we live this life for his glory, that we don't live for ourselves anymore. That our whole focus is, is how does God get glorified in this? We, we, when we pray, how does, how does God get glory through, through this job transition? How does God get through everything? That's the ultimate thing. And, and this weekend, we're going to be in uh, Exodus, or not Exodus, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, where we're going to look at this sola gratia. It's grace alone. Last week, we, we started with scripture alone. Scripture alone leads us to the principle of grace 
alone. Only grace. And Ephesians is an incredible letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, He radically changed by grace. Paul had religion, but not relationship with Jesus. And once, once he gets that relationship with Jesus, he starts realizing grace. And, and chapter one of Ephesians is, is salvation from God's point of view. And chapter two is like salvation from, from our point of view. And, and, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter two. Uh, and I just, I just want to, we're going to read this. We're going to work through this. There's a lot to work through. It says in, in Ephesians 2, 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." We're seeing all of us in the same boat here. And to to realize how good grace is and how good the gift of grace is, we have to see what our situation really is. We have to understand our need so that grace fully meets that need. Because if, if we minimize where we're at, we're minimizing the power of God through the grace that he extends us. And as he's, as he's working this through, that, that every one of us, we can be physically alive. We're drawing breath. We're walking around. We're doing this thing called life. We're trying to always find what normal is. We're always trying to figure out uh, what our pursuit is about. What can we amass? What are we leaving behind? I mean, we just get caught up in the same rat race that everyone in humanity gets caught up in the moment we draw that first breath out of the womb. And the same thing we have in common is this, that all of us, although breathing and physically alive, are dead in our sin and the trespasses. It's because we inherited that death from the original sin of Adam. So when, as soon as we're born, we are spiritually dead. We, we have no hope. We're walking around, and he goes on to say that we follow this prince of the power of the air. That's a word for Satan. That's a, that's a title for Satan. That in, in the first century context, that, that, that you had the heaven and the earth, and what they believed is in between the heaven and the earth is where the devil did the most work in and, and that spiritual realm. And so, so what Paul is getting across to the Ephesians that I'll translate up for us today is that, that what he's saying is that every one of you, your feet are on this earth, but yet you're submitting to the prince of the power of the air, the demonic realm that you look at, that he has control of all that, but my feet are here. And he says, you're on the same thing. Every one of us, all of mankind shares this problem, and the problem is death because of sin and because of our, our mind. And he goes on. He says, even in, in, in his, his powers at work in the sons of disobedience, that we're not born automatically good. We're not born with an ability to be obedient. If, if you're a parent, think about your kids. You did not have to teach them to be disobedient. You do not have to teach them to, to kind of go the way. I mean, when, when we think about what death it brings in, I mean, I never had to teach my kids how to lie. I never had to teach them how to be disobedient. I never had to teach them how to be disrespectful. I never had to teach them how to be selfish. What I had to do was teach them how to speak truth, teach them how to share. Remember, sharing is caring. You know, I had to teach them obedience. And, and what Paul is saying to them and he's saying to us is that, that we are all in the same boat. And that same boat is faithless and dead, that we have 
no hope. But verse 4, I love it. We ought to do a series just on the first two words of verse 4, but God. Because the whole problem is set up. That when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were cast out of the garden. Sin came in. Death entered. That was the operating system from, from the time of Adam, even up to the time of Christ. And Christ had to break that. He says, you're dead. You're children of wrath. It's all mankind's problem. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love which he lavished on us. Oh, it's beautiful which he lavished on us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I mean, we, we struggle with this so much, but we see the problems. And, and listen, right now, the world has no shortage of problems. Can we agree on that? We can all see the problems. We can see problems from different perspectives. We can see one problem and find another problem. We can see something that I don't see as a problem, but someone else sees as a problem, and that's a problem, right? So we realize we just have problems, and we got this issue. But God, seeing all of the brokenness and all of the despair, says, but God being rich in mercy and love, he poured out this grace on us, even in our current state. By grace, we have been saved. And he says he's made us alive. Remember the problem. We were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin. But God, who is rich in mercy and lavished his love on us, saved us, made us alive with Christ. How? By grace. I mean, grace isn't something we just say before food. I mean, grace isn't something that we want extended to us just when we, when we fall short. I mean, uh, most of us operate on this, or maybe it's just me. When I make a mistake, I want grace. When someone else makes a mistake, I want justice. And I spent a lot of time on the road this week, and, and I wanted grace for me, but justice for everybody else, because there's some fool drivers out there, y'all. I mean, I don't know if it's just the, the, the Rona quarantine or that's going on or what, but man, people get in their car and I'm like, who are you? It's like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type thing. But I, I, I think that grace is not just something where it's like, well, I messed up. Can you forgive me? And we think we reduce grace to that. Grace is this lavishing, lavishingly beautiful, wonderful gift that because God loves us and because he holds all the wealth of all the mercy of all mankind and all of creation, that he is, he's not just a stockbroker, he's the owner of the mercy because he's so rich in mercy and his heart is so drawn to us that he extends this gift called grace. And this grace isn't just like, oh, you messed up, it's okay. Oh, oh, oh you, 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 you told a lie, I'll forgive that. No, no, grace is this. You were dead. I was dead. We had no hope. We're walking around breathing. Blood is pumping in our body, but we are dead and we have no way out of that. And because of his mercy and his lavishingly great love on us, he pours out this gift of grace that just doesn't forgive us. He makes us alive with Christ. And that is a powerful statement because Paul is writing in this context where Jesus has already gone to the cross. 
He's already borne the sin of mankind on his shoulders. He's already absorbed the wrath of God and paid that penalty and was that atoning sacrifice for us. And on the third day, this power that grace has called Jesus from the tomb. And Paul says he, he was witnessed in his resurrection. And he says this death that you are dead in, this grace has made you just like Christ. That the tomb of life that we live in, God has drawn us out by grace and we are now made fully alive. That's amazing grace. That's the beauty of God's grace and this power, this resurrection power says, and raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Not only have we been made alive, he's given us a position and authority. He's given us not just life, but he's given us hope. He's given us purpose. He's given us that something to look forward to, that, that I now am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Because remember, in the first century, they believed that I'm on the ground, I'm good. God is way up there in the heavens, and all that in between is where the devil makes all that stuff. But he says, I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That means I have an authority on earth, and I have authority that extends up to his throne. And that means that I don't have to pursue what the prince of the power of the air is, is, is leading the children of disobedience and the faithless to follow. Think about it. If I, if I lord over this air, what am I really lording over? Nothing. What Paul is saying is that, man, we have been given a tangible grace and a tangible promise that just as Christ was raised, we have that tangible hope of the resurrection. And the purpose is this, that he might show immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So it's, it's, remember, because if we're going to go with all five solas, the, the final one is for the glory of God, right? So God just doesn't save us to say you're saved and you're alive. There's purpose. What is the purpose? To show the immeasurable riches of God's grace in who? In Christ Jesus. The, the, the grace isn't in me. The grace, it's not. I, I, I don't have that ability. I, don't, I, don't have, I, I can forgive you when you wrong me or when you've done something wrong, I can go, I, I forgive you, but I don't possess the power to lavish upon you God's amazing grace because he's so rich in mercy. You gotta go to God for that. You, you have to come to that moment of saying, God, I realize the desperate nature of my situation, but you love me. I realize that I'm a failure, but you still pour out your grace. And, and, and we have to come to that moment with God alone. And then this is, this, is the, this is the quintessential verse that we all love to quote, and we all love on the coffee mugs, and they fit well on a t-shirt, but it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace saves us through faith in Christ Jesus. It's God's gift. It's not our wage. 
When we look at wages in Scripture, Romans chapter 6 teaches us that, that the wages of sin is death. So what my wage is what I, so I'm born dead. And my wage for that is death. But God, who is so rich in mercy, raises us up to be alive with Christ and lavishes this gift. It's a gift. It is a gift. I mean, people say, what must I do to be saved? You receive this gift of grace. How do I receive that gift of grace? That's sola fide. That's faith alone. Faith opens up the gift of grace. Faith says, I'm receiving that. I mean, we're even now, um, kids are starting to talk about Christmas. I mean, I, mean, I think... I think um, when, when did Christmas start showing up in stores? It was, uh, this year it was like August. I mean, I remember walking in and, and, and going, wow, they haven't even moved the back to school stuff off the floors yet, and we got Christmas trees. I mean, what, what, and, and already kids, are, kids aren't talking. I remember when I was growing up, it was like, what are you asking for Christmas? What do you want to ask for for Christmas? And now... Think about the childlike faith, because I see this with kids today. They don't say, what are you going to ask for? They say, what are you getting for Christmas? What are you getting for Christmas? So think about it. Let me unpack this. This gift of grace is this. What are you getting? I know that I'm getting this gift of grace. I know that it's coming. It's not, I hope it's coming. It's, it's we, remember, if we, got, we build this foundation, it's sola scriptura. The word of God teaches us. It's a gift of grace. Well, what do I have to do? Do I have to deserve this? Do I have to earn it? No, it is by grace and grace alone. So sum it up, we're dead, God intervenes. We believe through faith that we're gonna receive this and we receive that grace. God raises us up and saves us by his grace. That's how it is. And it's foundational because we get so caught up in, in, in how to be saved or, or here's another one that we get wrapped in, how to maintain our salvation. I grew up in a system that you could lose that salvation. You could lose that gift. And I, I always struggled with this. And, and honestly, for a while, this, this was part of the, the reasoning for me walking away from God for a season of my life and walking away from church because I felt like it had become this environment of control where, where if you don't act this way or you don't believe this way or you don't do this the right way, then you have lost your salvation. And I spent week in and week out wondering where I stand with God. I mean, I felt like, I, you know, that the, the church, would, they, they, had, they could have broke out in revival just on the number of salvations, but it was me every week. Like, well, we had 18 salvations this month. Oh, it was Matt every time. Because I believe, man, God, I'll say, I, I, I said something this week, so I've lost it. I thought something this week, so I've lost my salvation. And I just was in this spiral. And it wasn't, listen to me, I preached to you the word of God, but you need to be in the word of God because you got to check, because I'm broken. You got to check it, right? Because I'm not the authority the word of God is. But when I got into the Bible and started reading about this and going, wait a second, if it's a gift and, and, and I have this father who is, who is perfect, 
that if, if, if I'm going to believe that the, the, the Bible is God's word and it is true, it says that, that I have a perfect father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And if I have this good and perfect father, why would he continue to take this gift back from me? I mean, my earthly father is an amazing man of God. And, and he didn't go, I've given you this free gift. And because, because my attitude didn't go, I'm taking that back. And so if my earthly father, who is in the same situation, born dead, who needs this gift of grace, knows how to, how to love me and give to me and raise me, why would I think my heavenly father who is perfect is, is less than that? And why would I think that God just watches me from heaven going, ah, took it back. You almost had it, but lost it. Now, what I have learned through the word of God is that I can, you know, I can receive this gift of grace and I'm saved. It doesn't mean I'm sinless. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. Perfection is not the mark on this side of eternity, folks. You'll wear yourself out trying to get it, and you'll walk away frustrated when you don't. Because that grace continues to cover. And I've learned this. I cannot out-sin God's grace. But what I have learned is I can abuse it. And I... I Paul would say this in Romans 6, 1 and 2. He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? So, so it's kind of like if I can't out-sin God, then party on. If God's got this, if he's, if he's this lavishing this grace on me because of his abundantly richness of mercy, then does that mean I, just, I can live my life my way and, and God pays the tab? No, we can't be a spoiled brat with a rich dad going around defiling dad's name. What he's saying, what he makes the argument, he says, by no means. And then he puts it back on us. How can someone who died to sin still live in it? So there's something that happens here. Let me unpack that. This gift of grace that God pours on us says we're made alive in Christ. So we were dead in sin. We're made alive in Christ, okay? When, when that gift happens, it says that we now are dead to sin, being made alive in Christ. Paul would say to the Galatians that I have been crucified with Christ because when he paid for my sin and by grace and faith I accept that gift of grace, then that forgiveness means, means it's appropriated. God has said, your sin has been covered by Jesus and we are now dead to sin. He would say to the Corinthians that, that we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So what he's saying is, listen, if, if, if you have died to sin and you're living for the glory of God, then how can we have this mentality of saying, well, if God's grace is there, then I can just sin all I want. What Paul is arguing there is he says, maybe you've never even received that gift of grace. Maybe you've never understood how big God's grace is. Maybe you're just trying to find a way to finance your own life. And when I say it that way, I mean you want to finance your own life by God's grace and you do what you want. And God says, it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. We can become very selfish with this gift and we can become abusers of God's grace. And if our mentality is to go on abusing God's grace, he's going to make the argument like, you need to check to see if you've even received that grace because that grace is transformational. That grace 
What did it say in Ephesians? That grace has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm. It has changed the dynamic and the paradigm with how we should even process our actions. And that's the beauty and the power of this gift of grace. The choice is this. We accept it. So so God in his sovereignty chooses to say, you're dead and I'm now offering you this gift called grace. What I have to do in this is I have to make the choice to receive that grace. Because people argue, well, if that's gift, if the grace is a gift, then why didn't Jesus give it to the whole world and he paid for the whole world's sin? So why do I have to submit my life to Jesus as Lord? Why do I have to, why do I have to let him come in and, and change me from life? To, why do I have to do all this? Why do I have to read the Bible? Why, 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 why pursue him? It's because you, God's richness of mercy has paid for your sin. But until you come and say, can you pick up my tab? I mean, I heard a story um, of a guy uh, going through McDonald's drive-thru. And he, uh, <laughs> he got to the, the, the speaker and he ordered his food. And he said, my food was like eight bucks. He said, I pull up to the window to pay and the girl goes, hey, we've had a string going on for several hours where... You pay for the, the car behind you. Your, your $8 has been paid for by the car that's just driving off, and, and, and you can keep it going. We've had this going for several hours. Don't be the one to stop it. Do this. And he says, I look at my rearview mirror, and I see a van. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And they're like, you know, it's just so great. I mean, this, this person said they first started the chain and they said, just tell the person behind that it's been paid for and that Jesus loves them and I hope they have a great day. And he's like, how do I, I have to do this? <laughs> so he's like, fine. So he gets the total and it's $75. And he says, well, all right then. So then he decides, I'm going to recoup my money. So he pulls out of the drive-thru. He whips right back around in line. And he says, I order 75 bucks worth of food. He said, I paid 150 bucks for McDonald's that day because it ended with me. <laughs> so so we've, got to, we've got to receive that. And we have to continue to move in that, in that, that process of receiving and continuing to pour it out. And so that's, that's just the beauty of God's gift and God's grace. And so, hey, man, pass it on, right? But grace is a gift. Grace moves. Grace moves. It's active. It's, it's, it, it's not just a, an, a, a, a thought. It's not just this, an idea. It is an active process of grace at work. And, and, and there's no greater symbol of grace than the cross. There's no, there's no greater place that stands for all of eternity than where grace moved was the cross because it moved Jesus to lay down his life for us. And it moved that forgiveness and that grace of God. And, and you, you even see this in, uh, in the story of the prodigal son. 
that in Luke chapter 15, you've got the son who looks at his father and says, you're dead to me, give me my inheritance. So the son takes the inheritance and he leaves and he goes, spends it all, he squanders it all. I mean, he just, all, what he was looking for was someone in some way to finance his lifestyle and the life that he wanted for himself. So he goes to his father and says, I want what's coming to me. I know you're not dead, but you are to me and so give it to me now. And in that custom, the son could do that and the father would give him his inheritance. Now, that wouldn't happen in my family. I'd be like, you're dead to me. <laughs> so are you. Pap. Um, but he goes, he squanders it. He finds himself face down in the pig pen. And, and if you've got folks around you and people that, you, that are just, man, they've walked away, read Luke 15 with the prodigal son. Because there's this moment where the son comes to his senses. He comes to himself, is what some translations say. And, and I have prayed for people. God, help them come to them senses, their senses. Help them come to themselves. Because when he did, he realized he'd squandered everything. And he was working in a pigsty. And he's face down in the filth and the muck. And this is what he came to when he got to the bottom of himself. The servants in my father's house are treated better than this. My father, my father knows how to treat hired hands better than this. So what I'll do is I'm gonna go back to dad and I'm gonna go, dad, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm sorry. Will you, will you just hire me to work on your farm, to work on your estate? And so he sets out. But here's where grace kicks in. It says he, he rose and came to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, while he was still dead in his sin and his trespasses, grace the father sees, and he ran to him. You see, the son set out, I've got to close the distance with dad because I've, I'm in the wrong. But the father was the one who made up the distance because of grace. That's grace moving towards us. That's the cross of Christ. That is God in his richness of mercy extending grace to us and saying it is the gift that God in his sovereignty says, I am moving to you. And he wraps his son in his arms and he embraced him and he kissed him and he restores him. He says, kill the fattened calf. The son of mine who was dead is now alive. Grace. Go get my robe. Put my best robe on him. He smells like pig filth. Get my robe on him. He's been stripped of all of his authority. Put my signet ring on his finger. He is restored, not as a servant or a hired man in my home. He is restored as my son because my son who was dead is now alive. The son had no power to restore himself in that position. It was all the grace of the Father because grace moves towards us and grace works. Grace works. Grace is what motivates us to get moving and do something about the glory of God. He says, for we are his workmanship created in advance for these good works that we may walk in them. So grace moves on us and then moves us. And listen, the thing about grace, we don't work for grace, right? It's a gift, we don't work for it, we work from it. 
because my life has been so transformed, because I was dead and now I'm alive, this amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, that I was blind and now I see. I'm dead and now I'm alive. It moves me. It changes me. And it begins to work in me and work through me. Uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, and I'm going to read it. He says, if any man be saved, he is saved by divine grace and by divine grace alone. And the reason of his salvation is not to be found in him, but in God. We are not saved as a result of anything that we do or that we will, but we will and do as the result of God's good pleasure and the work of his grace in our hearts. Let me break it down to you this way. Grace is not opposed to striving, but it is absolutely opposed to earning Grace at work in me makes me strive to be a man after God's own heart, to be someone who reflects the glory of God to the world around me, that reflects the grace that has been lavishly poured on me to the people around me, that it it moves in me, and I strive to do that for the glory of God, but I don't do what I do to earn God's merit or his favor or more grace. God says, "Now, now you're trying to go back into wages, and that's not how it works. So grace leads us to work hard, not to earn favor, but to share it. That's the beauty and the power of grace. What amazing grace. Folks, if we don't get this, we're dead. And we have no hope. And it is grace and grace alone. If anyone ever tells you it's grace plus anything, walk away. It is the grace of God that is so richly and lavishly poured out for you, given to you. All you have to do is accept it. Because he's done everything to move to you. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for grace. Amazing grace. That just the sound is so beautiful and sweet. Because I was dead and now I'm alive. That you did everything. You did it. You did everything to save us. And I pray right now as your grace is being extended that there are hands reaching out by faith to receive that grace today. And as we submit to you, you do a work in us. You bring us from death to life. You transform us. You said that we are now dead to sin. We are made alive in Christ. And I thank you that when we receive that grace, that our past is dealt with, our present has purpose and our future holds the eternal hope. I thank you for that. Thank you that you love us and that your grace changes us. We receive it. We accept it. Thank you for that. By the name of Jesus who gave us everything through the cross to receive this, I thank you. 
your name alone, we pray. Amen. We love you guys. God bless y'all. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.